Hello, and welcome to the Nostalgia Podcast. A podcast where we discuss the retelling or continuation of pop culture favorites as seen through a queer and feminist lens. My name is Eric Lefebvre. And I am Jessica Tercero. And this week, we watched... The Wizard of Oz the and the Wiz. <laughs> and we're actually joined by a very special guest this week, Dr. Amber Jones, PhD. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, hello. Uh, yeah, that's my name. My PhD is in education, but I have many imaginary PhDs. Um, <laughs> to uh, all of my very strong feelings about film and cartoons. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so excited. Thank I you know. so much. Thank you. I know because Eric and I have been talking about it. And The Wiz is also one of his favorite movies. And I've never seen is it? it. I had yeah. no idea. And he always oh, talks cool. about it. And I'm just like, he's shown me so many clips like the the Scarecrow song or Michael Jackson. This- like we, I've seen that so many times. I've seen Ease on Down the Road. And I know I've like been waiting to watch it. So thank you for kind of letting this happen in that way where it's like, yes, because Amber was like, oh, I want to do The Wiz. And I was like, yes, let's do it. Finally. I feel like my words were, there's no one with a stronger opinion about The Wiz than me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Please include me. I, I promise you, I have so many thoughts. Awesome. I'm so excited. This is going to be great. So, Eric, you said that you had not seen The Wiz. I haven't seen The Wiz. Um, and we hadn't seen the original Wizard of Oz since we were like eight years old, right? So this yeah. is like kind of like with fresh eyes for us. And Amber, you hadn't seen The Wizard of Oz before. No, I had never seen The Wizard of Oz. And I had also like chosen for my life to have never seen it. <laughs> um, and that is just part of like the deep feeling I have for The Wiz. But I was like, you know what? I should watch it. Like, yeah, I should. It would be nice. But like, <laughs> without this as a reason, I probably never would have. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah, yeah, it's 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 one of those movies that's like, unless it's on really for like Christmas or you're going to see like an old playing of it at some old theater. I don't know. I feel like it's just like not really a part of the zeitgeist apart from it being this historic piece of filmmaking in the early 20th century, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think other than like the somewhere over the rainbow song and that, and just like the visuals of it, I think is what everybody kind of associates with. Yeah. And yeah. I feel like it's one of those movies like star Wars where like you can grow up and like never even like, really know that it was a movie but still know things about it so I kind of felt like oh I know enough like I remember stills from the movie in my history books you know and I scapegoated the movie as being this representation of like yeah okay okay I get it like this is your culture and seeing the whiz as my culture and wanting to just put more into that than this other version. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a great segue into talking about the first film. Yeah, and perfect. And then getting, I'm so excited. I'm so excited to talk about The Wiz. Man, okay, let's do this. Let's do it. After attempting to run away from home, Dorothy and her dog Toto encounter a traveling fortune teller who, after reading a fake fortune, advises them to return home as a storm begins brewing. 
As they arrive home, the house gets tossed up into a tornado. Dorothy wakes up in the magical land of Oz, having landed on the Wicked Witch of the East. Galinda the Good Witch informs her that if she wants to return home, she must follow the Yellow Brick Road to meet the wizard who will grant her travel. Along the way, she meets a scarecrow, a tin man, and a cowardly lion who are all hoping the wizard will help them as well. Through it all, the Wicked Witch of the West is trying to capture Dorothy and Toto for the death of her sister. The wizard ends up being a fake, the Wicked Witch melts away, and Dorothy clicks her heels together three times and goes back home. She made it back, and it was all a dream. Or was it? Bum, bum, bum. I know that's not like the general cadence of that. It's not like a twist. Like, is it real or was it? But I mean... Well, I feel like we were talking about like this movie as being like a cultural touchstone where like you see so much of what this movie has done, like littered throughout all of pop culture. And I think that that is one of the big takeaways. Right. Everything is like, oh, but was it all a dream? Right. Like even Breaking Bad had that alternate ending where it was like he woke up and he was still Malcolm in the Middle dad, (laughs) you know. So I think that this is the, the movie that like that's one of the things that really like that really sets it apart. Oh, 100%. And I mean, even just the the generalized, like, very succinct tropes of the characters where it's like, I'm this character and I'm looking for this. Wonderful. I'm this character and I'm looking for this. Like, it's very clear, very succinct, very structured. It's a it's a very clear and concise structure that's that's very easy to follow in a way that I think a lot of storytelling. I mean obviously the Wizard of Oz is not the first story ever told, <laughs> but <laughs> um just in the sense of like modern storytelling, it kind of takes a beat off the book and then works it into a more nuanced or mysterious style of like introducing character tropes and like characters within a narrative, you know. Yeah. And since we're on that topic, one of the things that I really liked about this movie, because like, again, like watching it before was all like, oh, cool, there's a song and there's like, yeah, uh, or there's a dog. Like, that's what I remember. But it's really cool because the things that each of these characters, like all of their motivations are is like, you know, they actually possess those things. So like the scarecrow is actually really smart and he's the one that always comes up with the plans, you know, to save Dorothy or things like that. The lion is always the one that's up at the forefront and like, okay, like I'm going to do this. I'm going to walk in there and save Dorothy. And then the tin man is also like, he has that heart. He has that feeling and he kind of like uses that to unify everybody. So really what these characters are looking for is validation. And so like, I, I think that this story did a really good job of, being really subtle and being just like, you already have these things, but not like beating you over the head with it like a lot of movies do. So I liked that. I appreciated that. Um, I did not know that when I was nine years old. So. <laughs> oh, same. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I hadn't realized when I was a kid that that was the sort of takeaway that it was in you the entire time. I was just kind of like, oh, I guess they got it and they're moving on. Great. As a kid. <laughs> Now it's just sort of like the masquerading or just getting validation and confirmation that like you are worth it at your very core. And sometimes it just takes a moment of introspection to be like, oh, I guess I do have that. And here I go into the world. You know what I mean? Yeah, I did think it was really shitty that like at the end it was just like (laughs) some fucking dude that was like, oh, cool. You had this in you all along. But because you need to know, here's a diploma f- that you didn't earn. Here's a medal of honor. Here's this, like yeah. these little tokens to be like, let you hold your head up high. And I thought <laughs> I was just kind of like, 
okay, you're some dude from Kansas, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, that's one way that I heavily, heavily like the Wiz better. Yeah. And just selling that part of the story and doing it in a way that makes sense. Because, yeah, like you pointed out, like, he... He said, like, yeah, you always had this, but he gave them, like, little superficial tokens to, like, show them. And I'm like, okay, that kind of goes against the point, though, right? (laughs) Um, That they had it all along, but then also you can remember it this way. But, like, that being said, I was very surprised how much I really enjoyed The Wizard of Oz. Like, I was really surprised how much I enjoyed the way that they told the story. Like I thought that there was no like wasted time in there. And so, yeah, I guess going back to what you were saying earlier is that knowing the importance of this movie in our culture and knowing all of the ways that it's been like, you know, remixed and redone, I expected it to feel more stale as I was watching it for the first time today, but it didn't It was it was a real story that like these were real characters and they built out their personalities through the performance. And I enjoyed it. I was 100% surprised. Like I said, I had chosen never to watch this movie. (laughs) (laughs) I super thought it was going to be stale too. I was like, there, I haven't gone back to this, you know, there's the YouTube clips. I can just watch that. It's fine. But like, yeah, I was super, super surprised with just that really solid storytelling. And I do agree with you. I think that The Wiz did such a better job of like the end was like, I really liked the way that they wrapped all that up. I think they took this story and really elevated it, but we'll get into that. But it felt good. Like, I don't know. Watch this movie again. It's very much The Wizard of Oz is completely, perfectly made for children. And like The yeah. Wizard is a different story. It's not like it doesn't necessarily have to be for children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The Wizard of Oz, it very clearly, because I know it's like an adaptation of an old story that was adapted into a play and then what have you. This feels like you said, a storybook. It feels very much for children. Again, the way like we were saying earlier about how they develop their characters, like this character is so-and-so and and this is them. It's very clear, cut and dry. Mm -hmm. Here's who this is. Here's who we're following. Here's where they need to go. They have to get to X, Y, and Z. Here's X, Y, and Z scenes. Now she's back home. Good night. Like it's very (laughs) clear, cut, dry, concise. Whereas The Wiz is not that. The Wiz is so much more developed and nuanced and like, just atmospheric it's way more of a a realized story not just like a storybook narrative yeah like depending on how you approach the whiz you at the end you don't have a nice like little storybook ending you like i have just as often been like in tears as i've been like laughing out loud at the end of it and so i feel like that is a very good distinction as well but like both endings very, very good still. And I'm surprised to be saying that. Yeah. Because <laughs> well, even in the moments, like you have these little twists where it's like, oh, okay, they beat the witch and now they're going to go back and they're going to get their thing. And then he's like, actually, no, I'm a scammer. Go away and come back tomorrow. And they're like, no, we're here right now. He's like, yeah, I know. But like, just come back tomorrow. And they're like, no, what are you hiding? Like, why? What? What's going on? Like, what do you do? Are you kidding me? 
And so there's <laughs> that. And then there's like the hot air balloon the next day where she's mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'm finally getting home. And then Toto jumps out and she has to chase him. So there's all these sort of like misleading gags of like, you're, she's almost there. She's so close. And then you're just kind of snatching it away real quick. But the way it's wrapped up is very like, it's nice. Like, yeah, just go home, tap your heels, find your place. And then she wakes up and then all the characters are there. And it's kind of like, a, oh, sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Which was nice right now in 2020, right? Yes. <laughs> but yeah, I want to briefly mention how you were saying, like, he was telling her, like, oh, yeah, go do this. Oh, go do that. And it's in both The Wiz and The Wizard, he was trying to give Dorothy what he thought was an impossible task, right? Just to get him yes. off of his back. How women are always given impossible tasks and trying to have to do this. And it's like, oh, wait, actually, you, even though you did that, you still don't get what we promised you in the end because it was all made up. Thanks for doing that for me. Yeah, thanks for taking care of my biggest problem. See ya. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go right off of my hot air balloon now. Like in that moment too, like he's trying to build her up. He was still like trying to center himself too. He wasn't like, oh, great. You can go home. He's like, well, this is what I did. And this is blah, blah, blah. And he's like tooting his own horn the whole time. And he's like, oh, yeah, but you can come too. You're like, you're on this (laughs) balloon too. It's chill. And I was like, okay. We're going to actually go. I don't know how to work this thing. Oh, I know. Yeah. And also, like, on that same note where he was, like, he came into, like, a coward, like, from Kansas, landed there and was, like, oh, I'm this person. Everybody's, like, oh, you're a wizard. And he's, like, yeah, I'm a wizard. Cool. Yeah, I can do this. And, like, gave himself all of this power or didn't didn't deny this power that other people were giving him. And so, like, he is just a bad person throughout the whole thing. What was a delightful surprise is that these were really amazing comedic performances. Like there were so many moments where I was like literally laughing out loud. And I'm like, I didn't expect this at all. Yes. <laughs> well, just the the performances of the stylized choreography of character with like the yeah. scarecrow yeah. and the way he would just like fall and hop back up and kind of like spin split, like all that stuff. And then even with the Tin Man, that leaning gag. When they're like trying to catch them on one side and then they're going to the other side and then they're going to, oh, wait, no. are wonderful. It was great. Because to me too, even in those moments, I was like looking for wires and I'm like, I think this is just incredibly well thought out and like succinct choreography is what this feels like. That's what it feels like, you know? Yeah. I felt the same like when Dorothy picks an apple and then they're like in a fight with the tree all of a sudden. (laughs) (laughs) so this is hilarious that part scared me as a kid i remember when i was younger as soon as that the trees started like flailing and throwing their apples i was freaked out and then especially when the wicked witch shows up on the cabin and there's more red smoke i was like i don't like this this is a little (laughs) little too much I think they used a lot of theater, like being a theater kid, right? Like I was like, oh, here's the trap door. Here's this and the choreography and the big and the like, and like even the sets and everything. Like I I know it was like a soundstage and stuff, but like it still holds up. Like it still looks good. Like it doesn't look too campy or it doesn't look like too, like they did a really damn good job with all of that. Yeah. Yeah, Like it wasn't sleazy camp. It wasn't too much. But it was like just enough to be hilarious with how silly and ridiculous it was. Yeah. 
Yeah. And like, and it made me think of like, there are so many like fantasy movies that are like shot on a stage like this, that people look so much more stiff yeah. and it is not believable at all, but this is kind of believable in this nice little world they created for us. Yeah. And that that's just fun. It was super impressive, just those small moments. Like, that trap door with the red smoke, each time, I was so impressed. Like, yeah, we, we know what's happening, but, like, a kid with a, with a magic trick, I was like, <gasps> like, that was great. Oh, my gosh. Like, this looks so real. And I think, like, the sets and all of all those, like, practical, like, little magic tricks and stuff that they did, like, really helped, like you guys were saying earlier, how it, like, made it feel like a storybook. So I think that they did a really good job of bringing that to film. And I was surprised to find that this wasn't the first time, the 1930s was not the first time that this was filmed. Like, it was an, a silent film in 1910, and then it was another film in, like, 1925. And I'm like why like i don't know i don't know did you watch any i i know i sent you eric the uh the little clip i haven't watched it but i just the clip it looks a little i mean in the way that like some early turn of the last century costumes are terrifying um just in general like i can that's sort of the same aesthetic that i'm getting as far as like it being a little creepy that movie is like 110 years old now isn't that weird that's nuts weird Honestly, just time just keeps on slipping, you guys. Um, <laughs> into the future. Um, Eric was telling me this fun, well, not so fun. It's kind of, it's not tragic. It's just kind of like, oh, that sucks. Story. Apparently, the actor who originally was cast as the Scarecrow, he was a dancer. And so he created these mannerisms that were sort of like dance based and like the character nuance was performative dance. Um when they cast the actor who ended up playing the Scarecrow, he said that he wanted to play the Scarecrow. So that actor was like, okay, I'll do the Tin Man. That's fine. So they switched. But I guess in some of the early character testing, they used a paint that was poisonous. And so the actor who was doing the Tin Man ended up getting sick and had to drop out of the movie because of it. Yeah, it was like aluminum powder that they used to, right. to like yeah. and it got in his lungs and coated his lungs. And this is an this is a problem that was also with the Wiz too. They used the same like aluminum powder and he ended up in a fucking iron lung, you guys, because they didn't Nipsey- they used the same stuff. Yeah, like Nipsey Russell? Yeah. The other person that suffered from that was the woman that played the witch, the wicked witch, too. Like, so her skin, like that makeup would not come off fully. Um, And it was so toxic that she couldn't eat and had to, like, go on a liquid diet for weeks. Then also she caught on fire during one of those scenes. And so she suffered, like, second and third degree burns as a result of, like, just a lot of this negligence, you know, because there was no OSHA, there was no none of this, right? Oh, and this, the snow was asbestos, you know, like, yes. the scarecrow, the prosthetics that they used for his face, like the makeup, were there for, ye- like, a year after. He looked like the scarecrow, kind of, for a whole year because of some of some of the residual makeup stuff that happened. Wow. Nuts! No, thank you. That's... She caught on fire. She caught on fire. Oh my Second and third degree burns. I can't even believe that. And then uh, the asbestos thing really got me too. Just like lay in this field. We're going to throw asbestos on you. (laughs) Like pretend you're asleep. (laughs) Like here comes asbestos. Like that is covered in it. Covered. 
Like, you oh know, some, they breathe some of that in. Ugh. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So rough. You um, know, really like, learn more just about old Hollywood death traps. <laughs> and all, because there's so many movies that we know and love from this era. And I'm like, man, was everybody just like killing themselves just to create this thing? Truly. And I'm sure, too, especially with how like this is a real big first for the Hollywood or the Hollywood, <laughs> the industry in general. So they're spending like literal millions of dollars on this, which is huge, huge amounts of money. And this is like the first time we're seeing that much money shoveled into entertainment like this. So I'm assuming they're kind of like whatever way we can get the shot, we're going to just do it because time is money. We're shoveling all this money. We don't care if these people get hurt. They're replaceable. I mean, (laughs) truly, yeah. And like the way that they treated the cast too, like, okay, let's get into this because I did some research on that too. So first, let's go with one of the the less less problematic things maybe. I don't know. They're all problematic. But uh, Victor Fleming hit Julie Garland during filming. He like straight up smacked her because she like the um, lion walked out and she was giggling. She was giggling and she just was having a great time and couldn't stop. And he just like took her aside and smacked her and said, it is time to work. And like I was like, damn. And they already made her. She was like 16 or 17 when this was being filmed. They forced her to lose like 15, at least 15 pounds and made her wear a super, super, super tight corset so she would appear younger. So for all of this that she had to endure, she was only making $500 a week when her male counterparts were making $3,000. And she's the person, She the story is about her. She has the fucking voice. She has like the everything. So like, that's not even half. And then her dog was paid $125 per week. The people that played the munchkins were paid $50. The dog was paid better than them. And like, I just, I'm getting into this. I was like, what the fuck is happening? So, and then like Dorothy and Scarecrow were originally supposed to be romantically involved. So like when you look at like some of the scenes and some of the ways they wrote that too, it's like it when she like goes to him and she's like, I'm going to miss you most of all. I mean... It's so emblematic of these toxic environments. Like when you're hearing stuff like about Kubrick being a complete piece of shit to like his actors. It's it's unfortunate to say that it's not surprising. Like that sucks that that is the case. Um, fuck him. And also fuck the entire patriarchy for that. Like I know that they were sort of main characters, but she got paid 500. They got paid three grand. That's in- yeah. she is. She is the lead. If there is a lead in Wizard of Oz, it is Dorothy. She's the lead. <laughs> um. It's so interesting looking back now because we're in a time where we're putting more energy into like interrogating how the patriarchy has like shaped not only like how Hollywood does its business, but also how it shaped all of our lives, like consuming these stories and who wrote them and stuff. And so it's just really interesting thinking about like I'm always going to think about that now for the Wizard of Oz and how that necessary shift should be in our consciousness yeah Uh, what does what does that mean yeah what like what is a conscious necessary like cognizant shift in the way that we consume media look like yes like you know we saw 
the fun dress and the pretty shoes. And like, it's fun playing this and this is a cute children's movie, but what about like the children who are growing up now that should grow up with the necessary context and how does that shape their world? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's like a huge, we were talking about this a couple of podcasts ago where it's like, how can you separate the creator or the experience of creating a thing from the art and or the creation itself? And I think that's like a really big, like, I can't go back and watch Tarantino films. I can't do it. Like, I can't, like, after learning what I learned about Jackie Chan, I can't fucking watch him anymore, you know? Yeah. Um, like, and I, I've been having this, like, you said er- earlier, Eric, that you're not surprised and it sucks to not be surprised. And I was having this conversation with one of my friends recently and I was like, I don't think I want to say that anymore. Like, me personally, because I think that that works to normalize that behavior, even if it's not surprising, yeah. even if we know that that's happening by saying, this really sucks. I'm not surprised. But like, you know, when all the burger record stuff was happening and things like that, right? Like, you know, being a woman in music, I know this, you know, I, I, I've i seen this happen. I've been a victim of that. So like seeing that, it's like, I can't ever, I don't think I personally can say I'm not surprised because again, that just works to normalize this stuff. And I, I want to be surprised. I don't want to be desensitized like I am to so yeah. much of what's happening. And I, I have to, you know, we have to stay mad. We have to stay vulnerable yeah. and emotional. And because when we stop, all we're doing is just allowing that to continue, you know, yeah. and giving it a pass. No, you're totally right. Yeah. I, I'll take, I'll walk that back. We'll just not walk that back, but at least just apologize for it because 100% using language like that absolutely leads to the normalization of it because if you're, responding to something that should be in the culture and be an abhorrent thing. Like it should be this huge, huge negative. If the response to that is, oh, I'm not surprised. And then that's, that becomes your response again. It does just desensitize and make okay these things that should not be. So yeah, absolutely. That is disgusting. And that is trash because I felt the same way with the whole burger stuff. Like when people were coming out about that, whenever I would hear somebody say, I'm not surprised, my instinct in my head, I was like, then why didn't you say something? If you're not surprised and it's something that bothers you, where was that work before this? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So 100%. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. And I'm, I'm really excited that we're having these conversations because I think yeah. uh, having these conversations and like, you know, they're not they're not black and white you know they're not like there's a lot of gray area there's a lot of um a lot of people and things and emotions and like a lot of stuff to consider and um i think by not giving that weight like you know because like yeah like tarantino sucks or yeah whatever but look at how many jobs were created or look at like you know somebody might have found mithurman's character i forget her name right now but um might have found her like really empowering you know like so it's like at what point can you take the media away and just allow it to exist there's like i I, there's a form of philosophy where like the artist is dead so the work stands on its own i forget what that is but i think that there is a lot of value in in both approaches when it comes to to media for sure I also, because, you know, we think about this a lot because, again, we're in a time where we're putting so much more into acknowledging what has been open secrets and deciding this is not okay for our culture anymore. 
Um, and I have felt for a long time that I am able to appreciate this piece of art and appreciate what it means without feeling like I'm glorifying that artist that did terrible things. Um, like when I think about Bill Cosby, like I, I still see the Cosby show as this is an important cultural artifact. And I like if I were to see it on TV, which I don't think they play it on TV anymore, it wouldn't upset me to see it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But that only can exist if it always, always, always exists with that context, you know? Like it can never just be that anymore. It still has that context. And so like, that's kind of how I hold myself accountable for when I want to like watch Kill Bill or something. Um, like, okay, like I can enjoy this, but I also always have to think about the extra layer of these are the, also the things that were going on when they created this art. And that is always a part of it. I think that even that has its limits because there is like art that can stand on its own, but then there's also art where they've also put in some like signs and like themes that hinted towards the disgusting things going on in the background. And so like, that's where I draw the line. Like I was like, but I am not going to entertain this because now I know what they were doing. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of that gray area that I was talking about too. Like you can't just, you can't just say yes or no because like, you know, then ultimately I think you're hurting yourself. Right. And I, I think to think in things and absolutes is just not great. But yeah, like I, I definitely had to do exactly what you said, like, um, watching the whiz and seeing Michael Jackson. And I think, uh, allowing something to exist and, having that knowledge and still holding that while you are consuming that media or enjoying that media and everything. I think that's a, that was really well said. And Michael Jackson's performance in the Wiz is so perfect because of that context for me that I feel like, cause I think he was like what, 18, 19 when he was doing it, that it's, through his performance, you see this like vulnerability in him. And I think that that is only amplified by his larger legacy. And so I don't know, like my, I experience it as a positive thing, even knowing that I'm like acknowledging these other horrible things that he had done in his life. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think, and again, because of that sort of shading of context with all of these things, it does reinterpret the thing itself, like you were saying. It reinterprets, I mean, specifically if we're talking about an actor playing a character, it reinterprets motive and therefore kind of reinterprets the performance as a whole. So you're kind yeah. of seeing a different version of of what that performance was and is. Um, mm -hmm. In the same way that like a musical artist, if you go back and listen to the song, say that song impacted you in a way that was so emotional or, 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 or comforted you in a place of vulnerability that mm -hmm. could still be there, but maybe it's like toned down or it's not as palpable just because of the, the negative aspects of that understanding in that context, change it completely. And I think with Michael Jackson and this, I know we're not on the whiz yet, but it absolutely does. And I mean, so I, I can't necessarily say that because I didn't see this movie before 
that context had been given. Um, so my only understanding of this performance is now, today. But even with that, it adds this whole other layer for it. I mean, apart from it just being fantastic, because I really <laughs> like it. it uh, he did such a great job. And that that song is so good. And just everything that it means. I want to get, I really want to dig into his character in the next one. Just like the oh, literally yeah. reaching into yourself, sort of like that whole thing. So, so good. But so yeah, great. it is. I think it's a wonderful thing moving forward, just recontextualizing everything. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like looking at this and understanding, like looking at the Wizard of Oz, the, the, this piece, and understanding that it is riddled with so much misogyny and so much abuse and so much badness, seeing it for what it is as a piece of art, but also understanding that it is a product of badness. And the same way that a lot of early movies are, I mean, even movies now, like there is still so much in the industry, so much rampant abuse. So understanding that within its context and being able to just still enjoy it to some degree. And I think that's one of the things that makes Dorothy kind of pulling it back full circle. Um, I think that's one of the things that makes her as a heroine and as just like a lead actor so great is because you notice that she is constantly challenging her perception of reality, right? Like she's very yes and. She's like walking along and she's, okay, cool, I'm here, I'm in this thing. Okay, and she just kind of like goes with the flow and she figures it out. She's she's always kind of fluid in that way, right? She's never like so rigid that she can't accept something. She walks along and then there's a scarecrow and it's like, oh, okay, yeah. And then the care that she takes in that because because she's willing to change her perception of what things are and how they should be, she's able to approach friendship in the same way where she, and she's so respectful. Like the way that she talks to Scarecrow is like a model for how you should be friends with somebody, right? It's like she comes up to her and she says, how can I help you? Would you like to come with me? I can't guarantee that you'll get what you want, And I do have some bad things around me, but I am inviting you to do this. You don't have to. And she, she's not trying to force him and not trying to be like, oh, poor you or like put him down for the position that he's in or anything. She's being so gentle in the way that she is approaching friendship. Like that's such an interesting juxtaposition with the Wiz because like I agree in the Wizard of Oz, like Dorothy, she, she goes forward. You know, like no real fear. Like there are moments where she starts to be afraid of something very specific, but like she doesn't have a fear of just like everything in front of her. She's like, oh, okay, so now let's do this now, I guess. And I would say that that is so different from Dorothy in The Wiz, where she has a general anxiety about everything. And I also like how she like approaches her friendships, but it's a very different way in that sense where like Dorothy, who is this 12 year old in the wizard of Oz, yeah. you know, is very like plucky and not afraid of these things coming up for her. Whereas like Dorothy and the Wiz, who is 25 is afraid of everything, but still there's still like a consistency in the character. Um, and I just think yeah. it's, funny because I would not describe Dorothy and the Wiz as brave so much as just like 
someone who kept going, yes, but I don't see her approaching the world the same way as Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. Yeah, I think what's interesting too, just specifically looking at their ages, is there is sort of like a ignorant courage that Dorothy has for being so young and not really necessarily like we see her her first instant she's she's leaving and she's running away not really knowing the the hardships of the world um, outside of the context of this one small place in Kansas whereas Dorothy in the Wiz she I believe she's 24 yeah 24 25 she knows the the hardships of young adulthood she's experiencing it in that moment and you know there's this opportunity for her to be a teacher but that means she has to go somewhere she's never been and even going south of 125th street which i'm assuming was in still in the same borough even that by itself is difficult understanding the hardships and the difficulty of the world you know so it is there there is one incredibly ignorant interpretation of of just youth versus a more enlightened, more understood version of the world is hard. I don't know if I'm ready for this. Even with like those very different approaches, both characters are still so like you identify with them so much still. As a young woman, you're always kind of like told to be very nice and very polite and be trusting and do all of these things. And I think that Dorothy does a really good job or like she doesn't. She really inhabits that as the 12-year-old, right, in The Wizard of Oz. And then, yeah, like, we'll, well, first, I really want to get into Dorothy in the next one for sure. But she does, you know, like, there's a point where you go from a girl to being a woman and you don't see things the same way. And everything is, you know, like, there are people that are there out there to hurt you. You know, you have to be cautious. You have to be, you have to keep yourself safe, you know? And so that caution, that switch, I really identified with that. Like, now I didn't even think about that until you had mentioned that. And I was like, wow, yeah, that's, that's spot on. That's, that's great. Yeah, same. Um, what else do we have for the 1930s one? The costumes were amazing. Yes. Didn't expect to love them as much because I had seen pictures before, but like in the whole motion of it all, it's so much different. I'm like, man, like I love the sets. I love the costumes. Yeah. Oh, truly. I mean, all of the sets were also just incredible. Everything looked so, I mean, obviously of the world, but also stylized in such a way that felt like more than just of the world. It was so like, it was really great. And I mean, that on top of like the specificity of the wigs, say in Munchkinland versus the fashions of the folks who live in Oz, like you got these very particular and stylized versions. And especially too in the conversation of like capitalism, which I will get into more in the second one, but just looking at like the wealth of one city versus the wealth of another and what those two things look like. At juxtaposed between the two. Okay. Did you guys also think that Emerald City was super socialist? You walked in there and once you like once you were allowed in, right? Then it was like, cool, let's let's get our hair done. Let's give you some new outfits. Let's talk like let's do this. It was very like great. And like nobody was asking for money. Everybody was like everybody seemed very equal there. Um, except for the wizard, of course. I think I don't think so, only because they were only let in when he saw the slippers. 
And so that to him was like a sign of wealth to some degree. So that's so my interpretation of it was that I guess I mean obviously the slippers are from the Wicked Witch of the East. It's very these are very iconic shoes in this world. They're recognizable. People know what's happening. But it felt like they were the people of the day in Oz only because of that. Yeah, to me, it felt like elective kind of socialism, like you were saying, right? Like where it's like you have to have like show that you have value in order to be allowed to live in this type of society. And so like that's why that wasn't for everybody. And that's why the shoes were the ticket in because she like she clearly had something that nobody else had or had kind of proven herself in some sort of way, even though like Dorothy like accidentally kills two people in this and we don't even talk about it and she's just kind of like like when she like drops the house she's like oh, oh my god i'm so sorry and then like everybody's like no but it's fine and she's like okay okay cool <laughs> <laughs> but we don't see her reckon with like we never see her reckon with the fact that like i just off to somebody and i just off somebody again whoops <laughs> she doesn't even she just kind of like okay next scene <laughs> You're kind of seeing these characters shimmy past the trauma induction that, that is happening. Like she sees that she killed somebody and was like, no, it's fine. She was bad. And she's like, are you sure she's dead? And they're like, no, no, no. We're having a party because of it. Don't even worry about it. Like we're literally celebrating now because you're Girl, so great. We love and you. like, <laughs> this is so like, it is so confusing in so many ways. Like I'm sure she's just like, but I killed somebody. They're like, Sweetie, stop. Don't even worry. And you're like, oh my God, I can't do this. Oh, here's another thing that I remember. Like, after she kills the first witch, like, there's a coroner, there's paper. (laughs) Like, you have killed a person. Like, an official had to come out and issue a death certificate. Which also just the costuming of that and the like the jubilation of it within that moment where the coroner is just like she's dead most certainly and completely and everyone's like yeah (laughs) it is very silly and it is very like macabre it's like very dark and then even the, the second death too is like so i mean obviously accidental like they both are but just so much it also looks like maybe they didn't know how to kill the witch or something. And like, so when something happened, they're like, oh, okay, that'll be it. That's, that's how we're going to kill her. Yeah. That's, that's how it happens. And I love that her whole army is just kind of like all of a sudden, like, oh no, we're cool. It's just like, cause like Dorothy's like, oh my God. Oh my God. And like surrounded by all of her goons. And they're like, oh no, we're cool. We're liberated now. Thanks, girl. <laughs> This whole like movie, like hashtag thanks girl is like (laughs) every interaction that she has. (laughs) Oh man. Can we also talk about how fabulous Lion was? Yes. Because I know that you're going to say, and I I love Lion. I love, I love him. I love Lion in every way. What a great character, but like the obvious queer coding, the obviously gay coding of the character with, I mean, specifically language, what was the line where he's saying to have courage is to not be a sissy or whatever? Yeah. You know, like, so there's like a couple moments where you're kind of like, what is it? <laughs> yeah, he does. He does the full tilt. He does the full limp with 
like this use of the word sissy and stuff. He gets so bows a, in his hair and like his curls, which, and he's just like uh, living his best life the whole time. And I, I love that. Yeah. In this song, he says like not to be the queen or the duke, but the king. And I'm like, that's interesting. I know. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 kind of like reiterating this language of like coded misogyny. Or like not even like I guess coded misogyny, but specifically anti-feminist, like with that kind of thing where it's more like, especially like if this is a male presenting person, like, well, you can't be female. You can't do that because to do that means to have no courage. And it's like, that's not what that means. Like, I know this is like a storybook thing, but it's going back to like base narrative of when you're telling stories, right? It's like, why are you equating like this incredibly bi-gendered idea of what exists as mask or femme or male or female or whatever? Like, it's just such a silly male thing to do. Like such a silly thing. Cause I yeah. love lion, but even just those small moments, I was like, Oh no, they wrote him a bad part. <laughs> Cause in my head, I'm like, the character is the lion. And I'm like, he's so great. Love that. And I'm like, Oh, they gave him a bad line. I don't like that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I was honestly impressed with how, like, this was the 30s and how, like, flamboyant his character was. And I was just, like, very, I was like, yeah, like, that's cool. But like you said, yeah. there were, like, those little moments where I was like, oh, no, 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 damn it. <laughs> yeah, it was, like, because the whole idea is, like, he's lacking something. Like, each one of these characters is lacking something. So for him, he's lacking courage. And to a male character, that means he's lacking masculinity, in a way so like even in the last scene when he's standing there saying goodbye he's full chest puffed like super machismo like a big boy i'm i'm good even though i have a soft side that you all saw like it's like very like it's just so it's so goofy and performative which i still i'm, I'm still on board 100 percent. but it is creating this character around the idea that to not be masculine and male presenting is to be weak, which is a bigger conversation about to be femme or female is to be weak, which again, just reiterates patriarchal structures and uh, misogynistic, I guess, approaches to life <laughs> in general. Even within a story where it's a 12 year old girl that's murdering people. I know. <laughs> but to be female is to be weak. Yeah. <laughs> really? Right? Isn't that just so bizarre? It's like, it's exceptionalizing violence in this like really bizarre way, but still just like, if it's gay or femme or female, ugh, like, you know, <laughs> like, whoa. Yeah, yeah. And it's so interesting because that's the one that they like, they don't really talk about the brains thing a lot. They don't really talk about the needing a heart, but they really like, zero in on needing courage right and like i think he has like two or three numbers about like courage and i'm like yeah yes give me more but also like the other things are just as important like why are we focusing on this one so much you know it is a little goofy like i mean again it's it's looking at a like who wrote the story a white guy like exactly. what what centers maleness generally it's anything that is like violent or masculine that's like largely at anything else's subject or lower than yeah it's just uh it's so predictable and well not like i just stories can be written better and i mean obviously the story was written 140 years ago when did the bomb one come out like in 1870 something and i know we've come a long way storytelling wise so i'm not gonna like 
fully jump down on him a little bit and be like, I can't believe that you weren't more inclusive in 1886. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) But just to look at the structure of story, I think is important Mm -hmm. and interesting. Yeah. And I mean, like I, the other thing I didn't really like about Lion for everything I liked about him was it's just like, if you cry, then you're weak. And the only people I'm going to pick on are people that are weaker than me, you know, like, uh, of course, of course, cool. But like, yeah, I, I always hate it when they frame showing emotion and crying and everything as weakness, you know, especially because mm-hmm. those are things that are uh, very often feminized. And so I think that's another thing. Again, we'll get into it. But I think that's another thing that the Wiz <laughs> really fucking shined on. So I think maybe the best part about the story is the wizard. And I don't think I got that when I was a kid because I remember thinking like, he's only in like the movie for like a few minutes. Yeah. But it, it, and it's some, I'm thinking about something you mentioned earlier, just saying like, and in the end, he's just a fraud. Like <laughs> all of this heartache and all of this trouble put their own lives on the line. And it was kind of for nothing. And all they got away with was like what they already had, but now they knew better. Um, I think like that is maybe the coolest thing about the story and makes it the biggest allegory for like everything <laughs> that like, yeah, you're going to go through all this stuff. And a lot of the time it's just going to be some asshole behind a curtain making you. Truly. Hell yeah. Right. Like oftentimes the gatekeepers, the ones who yeah. hold the power are literally Not just yeah (laughs) right not more powerful just lazier and has the power to make you do it we're just in the right place at the right time aren't even fucking qualified and in the end they're just going to give you a trophy for something that you already inhabited right because they're not going to enrich your life at all it's it's all performative right yeah so and it's PR spins too, when it's like a negative thing. When she came back and she's like, fine, I did the impossible thing. I did it. Now own up. And he's like, JK, LOL, come back tomorrow. And she's like, no. And then he's like, <laughs> okay, but it's been in you the whole time. And it's just like this PR spin of actually the gift was this and you had it, but I gave it to you because I gave you enlightenment. And you're like, no, stop it. <laughs> stop being fake. <laughs> I do like that at the end, he just like pieced out all on his own, right? He's like, oh, I, I don't know how to stop this. Like, he's supposed to be like a wizard and all this. And he literally can't like even stop his balloon. <laughs> like, just, he can't. Or there was there was rope on the side of the basket. There was rope there. He could have just thrown that shit down to her. But he's not even that smart. He's not even like a, a brain wizard. <laughs> it also occurred to me, what if... The Tin Man, Scarecrow, and Lion let him go off on purpose. Because, like, immediately after the accident, he was like, well, we were really sad that you were leaving anyway, so you should just stay. Oh, my God, right? There is a version of this story. I think it's the 1925 one where Dorothy decides to stay in Oz. Because, like, truly, if you think about it, what the fuck is she going back to? I mean, like, Auntie M and, like, everybody is kind of an asshole to her at the farm. They are literally telling her, uh, you're stupid, use your brain. And then he, like, falls and hurts himself. Have some courage. Like, stop imagining things and stay out of trouble. And, like, then there's this line that Annie M has where she's, like, talking to, like, the bad lady, right? And she's like, I'm a Christian, so I can't tell you what I think of you. So she's going back to be oppressed. She's going back 
to be treated like shit by everybody. Why the fuck do it? Why would you go back, girl? Asshole lady gonna kill her dog. Yes, and this is literally right after her aunt literally said, like, well, she went to the cops, so we have to listen to her. Like, you don't. You don't have to listen to her. (laughs) Why are you giving away her dog? Like, you're gonna, this is right after that happened, so it's like, what? (laughs) And that lady owns half of the county, so she, like, paid everybody off, and that totally went way over my head as a kid, and right now I'm like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck! Yeah, (laughs) oh my god. You know, but yeah, she should. I I agree. She should have stayed from now on. Whenever I watch this, I'm going to to tell myself and think that they all sabotage that and push that that wizard dude off. So that way they could just hang out some more. And then one day she could return to Oz. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. I actually haven't seen that movie. I haven't either. After attempting to save her dog Toto from a snowstorm, Dorothy is whisked away to the magical land of Oz. Dorothy accidentally kills Evermean, the Wicked Witch of the East, and is instructed by Miss One, the Good Witch of the North, to go to Oz and speak to the wizard if she wants to go home. Along the way, she meets a scarecrow, tin man, and a cowardly lion who are all hoping the wizard will help them as well. Through it all, Eveline, the Wicked Witch of the West, is trying to capture Dorothy and Toto for the death of her sister. The wizard ends up being fake. The Wicked Witch melts away. Dorothy clicks her heels together to get back home. She made it back. Everything was okay. Or was it? Was it? Boop, 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 boop. So I mean, actually, this one had a much better ending, I think, because like yeah. she's she's like ready to go home and like take on her life, you know, whereas the other one's like, oh, I'm here back with my hateful family. Sorry, but now it's like, yeah, she's doing it now. She was so afraid, but now she knows. I also like the intention of like how it starts because it's Galinda is the good witch of the south. Right. Yeah. I was like, yeah, they, they switch stuff up a bit. Yeah. So Galinda, the Good Witch of the South, she is literally the instigator to get her to Oz. Even though she swept up in the snowstorm, you see that clip of her flying. And Galinda kind of gives her the blessing, like, this is where you're going now. And like guides her to Oz. Because right off the bat, if we're seeing this like sort of hesitation, this trepidation, this like crossroads in Dorothy's life, it makes sense for there to be some sort of like this is something that you need to go through and you will be stronger for it in the end. So to see right right at the beginning, there's this guidance. And then at the end, she comes right back to Galinda and the star babies. <laughs> and they're all in this room. <laughs> and she's kind of just like telling her like, yes, this is like you. You are it. You have this. You're strong. Yeah. You're, you're capable. You are these things that you thought you weren't. I just thought that was so beautiful. That was to me... A more succinct, more, I guess, beautiful allegory generally than the other one. Yeah, absolutely. Especially because like a lot of that validation came from themselves. So like, you know, like at the end, they weren't given a fucking diploma or anything. It was like Dorothy was telling everybody like, what do you mean? No, you are brave. You are this, you know, and then she ends up getting her validation from this woman who was there kind of like to help her grow and to foster and wasn't just going to give her all the answers, you know, and I really loved that. Yeah, that occurred to me as I was watching The Wizard of Oz and I had already accepted that I appreciated parts of this movie 
And then like it got to the end, and I was like, oh, but the Wizards End is so much better because they do have Dorothy telling her friends, no, actually, you are smart. Remember all of this stuff. And it makes so much more sense because she actually knows them. She went through this whole journey with them. And she doesn't give them trinkets. She like she validates them, but also helps them validate themselves. It's not it's not like an external validation. It's internal, really. And like here is this person that you love and trust telling you, oh, no, this is real inside of you. That was so, so, so good. And I feel like we got to talk about Richard Pryor. So we've already yes. talked about how the wizard is like this piece of shit asshole. Um, and it's very tongue in cheek in The Wizard of Oz. Like, oh, he was a fraud. Oh, it's so funny. In The Wiz, maybe, I'm going to say a million things are perfect about this movie. But one thing that's perfect about it is they really dig into him. Like, after they find out, like, he's a fraud and Dorothy has, like, gone through and she's changed her friends' lives by, like, showing them what they had all along. Afterwards, he was like, uh, do you got any of that for me? And she's like, no. (laughs) (laughs) What you've put us through. And she, like, literally, like, still being nice. She was like, I don't know what's inside of you. You're some random man that we ran into. Like, you're a piece of shit. Like, no, you can stay here and figure your own shit out. And so one of the many things that was perfect is that at least they, like, really dig into the wizard. Just saying, like, nah, you're full of shit. Like, realize we could have done all of this without you. And I don't even want to talk about what you put us through. And I love that so much. And Richard Pryor is just, uh, his performance was so perfect for it because you see, like, he does pathetic so well. Yeah. (laughs) He, like, dug into something so real to just show how pathetically nothing he was. And that was so important for me. No, that performance was fantastic. It was very, because what was, he was a politician, like a failed local politician, right? Yeah. He has like this little gag. I forgot his real name, but he was like, so-and-so, your best bet to catch that pet. Yeah. <laughs> always makes me laugh. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I love that they did not let him off the hook. And he even like, he straight up admits like, I was using you. She was going to find me out eventually. Here, let's just be friends. It's fine. And rather than even entertaining the idea of benefiting from this person in their position of privilege, right? She was just like, no, I'm not going to do that. You are garbage. <laughs> that was great. I I think... Wizard of Oz was good. This was excellent. And I think that the the way that they did, the characters were so well defined and lived in. Like the one that I personally liked the best. I, I Okay, I loved all of them. But the one that I really felt was the Tin Man because he he's going through this depression where he's just like, I can't feel anything. I can't even feel pain. And like, People don't realize that's a real thing. I did that, like, you know, where I, like, try to, like, 
hurt myself and I couldn't feel anything because it was just so numb. And he's so like when he says that he wants a heart and he wants feelings, he's not just talking about love or joy or anything. He's like, I want heartbreak. I want jealousy. I want all of this. I just want to feel something. And I had to pause the movie at that point and was like, okay, okay, (laughs) okay, here we go. Like even going to the very end in that moment when Dorothy is telling them all, like she's saying goodbye, he's just like weeping in this honest, like it's so, it's just, it was so real. It was like such a real authentic, like one tear and then one, two. And then he's like trying not to like look at her, but he's also like looking at her because he loves her and is like so proud of her. And at the same, he's just like all of these things. It was that like, Seeing him go and his transition, his journey to this moment, that being the culmination of it to show this love in such an exemplary way, to feel something so intensely, it was gorgeous. (laughs) And like even from the very beginning, he's like, I wish I could cry because tears mend wounds and like showing that there's strength and vulnerability. This whole movie was like, it's okay to cry. It's okay to feel pain. Just feel it and be here with the people that, that are here for you. Yeah, I, oh God, I'm going to cry talking about him. I know. Like, I've obviously loved this movie my whole entire life, but like, it still had been like kind of what you were saying about The Wizard of Oz. Like, you know, I've seen it a million times. I don't need to watch it again for a long time until it was my 25th birthday. And I was, I don't know, just like staying up. It was the day before. I I remember the time exactly, like 1045, where I was like, I should watch The Wiz. It's been a while. It's so much fun. And I put it on and I hadn't watched it in years. And I just like, I wasn't even, it was right at uh, You Can't Win that I was just bawling just like out of control like I do I love this movie but I thought I just liked the songs at the end like (laughs) at that moment you were talking about where it's just like this is so incredibly deep just this commentary on pain and the different ways that it manifests in all of our lives like I really hadn't thought as deeply about the Tin Man as you were just saying. Even though, like, I loved that character and I always loved how he talked about how he wishes he could just, like, sit around and be vulnerable for an afternoon. <laughs> like, I always loved that. But it was particularly the Scarecrow and You Can't Win and all of the crows around him that were just, like, tearing them down, tearing them down, tearing them down constantly. And like to the extent where they're like, no, it's not even worth it getting down off of this painful pole that you're hoisted up on forever. And like the way that that warps someone's mind, you know? And so like all of those layers and then that with Michael Jackson's beautiful performance. Yeah. I just... (laughs) out of control. <laughs> well, even like if we're looking at just the character himself, like we were saying, the idea of he's stuffed with like all this ripped up newspaper and books and pages and stuff, but he's literally reaching inside of himself to pull these little quotes. Even if he doesn't necessarily know what it means now, if we're talking about the impact and the weight of words and the yeah. weight of, of, of sort of 
self-assuredness or the discovery of self-assuredness or confidence in this way. You're seeing him literally take these words out of himself, physically out of himself, to read them, to say, you know what? They say negativity is the night of the mind or they say whatever, whatever this. Like seeing these small moments, even if he doesn't remember it now or know what it means now, it's in him. He has it. He has within himself that strength, this wisdom, even if he does not and cannot necessarily compute it in a way that is cognizant. He has the strength within him. He's had it the entire time. He's yeah. had it forever. Yeah, so good. That wonder that Michael Jackson brought to it where like his performance was so delicate, you know, like you could see like this is a person that's been beaten down so much that even if like they're the ones who possess all the knowledge, like he literally possessed all of those great words inside of him, that he still thinks that he's an idiot and still thinks he's a complete failure and there's no use in trying. Like, there is just such honesty that, like, I don't think we ever would have fully known that Michael Jackson, like, fully felt that way, you know? Yeah. That is, like, there's no way he could have done that performance if he hadn't fully, like, already knew that feeling. Yeah, of, like, shrinking so much. Absolutely. Like, seeing... His performance, the way that he, the way he moved, the way he talked, like you said, like the, the way that he was able to inhabit this character and this character's pain was just, and still throughout all of that, put a smile on his face, you know, like, and, and show that, like, that earnest, like, I still want more, but you know what? Maybe this is it. This is where I'm at. And Dorothy seeing that and just being like, Come on, I'm I'm going to help you up. I'm going to I'm going to do this, you know, and like just truly being there for somebody that needs that needs that, you know, like listening to the crows, like just being so manipulative and like the crow commandments where it's stop reading, obey, stay where you are. Uh, you can't win. You can't leave. And just like having somebody else come in and be like, I see you. You can do more. Come, like, you know, even if you can't stand up right now, it's okay. I got you. I'm not going to let you fall again. Yes. Like, I love when she comes in and shoes all the crows away. <laughs> it's so perfect. <laughs> and, my, and I was thinking of this moment when you were talking about uh, in The Wizard of Oz, Dorothy's just, like, openness to make all of these friends, and it's it's childlike, and it's also refreshing. And I feel like this moment between Dorothy and the Scarecrow and the Wiz, it's different. It's not so much just, like, oh, she was walking around, and she was like, oh, I'll make a friend with that person. It's she was passing by. She saw all of these people tearing him down, and she empathized with that she knew exactly what that felt like and she knew that oh all he needs to do is stop listening to them and mm -hmm. so she made a friend through that like empathy connection and that is just such a beautiful part that the whiz adds to the story she um kind of bringing it back to what we were talking about earlier where it was like you know when you see something like don't be surprised like say something stand up right she was outnumbered she was all of that all she saw was somebody that was hurting somebody that wasn't even asking her for help or anything but just recognized what was happening and made the choice 
to go and help. And I think that is truly like this Dorothy was courageous. And again, I love her so much because they've, they had already laid the foundation that in her own life, she's incredibly insecure. She is anxious about making choices in any way. And like, had she been the scarecrow on that pole, like she probably would have stayed up there just like he was planning to. Mm-hmm. But that because she saw it and she recognized that feeling was like, oh no, like I'm, I'm going to stop this. And I see that as part of this story. It builds up the story even more because it shows like these are all of the real concrete times where like, yeah, Dorothy really was brave and smart and did all of these things. And like, of course she was much more powerful than she thought she was in her own life, but she needed to come to this fantasy place to really be able to see that in action. Yeah. Because especially early on, we're seeing the groundwork. Like she's introduced as a teacher We're getting this backstory of her being a teacher and making that move to go teach somewhere else. So within her, she has that capacity to teach others, to show people what they have inside themselves and to grow together and separately. Like she has that within her. So seeing her in every one of these moments excel towards a higher version of that already wonderful person in these ways that like, like you said, like, and in her home, maybe it's something that she wouldn't necessarily have done. But in this space, she saw it, she did it, these acts of courage. And then at the end, to be able to go through those actions and then say and show her new friends, like, you have that. You have these things. Like, I've been doing it and I see you do it. I see us all do it. Like, you have the strength that you think you don't. You know what I mean? And that's one of the, like, the, one of the beautiful things of, like, the best teachers I've ever had. It's never been somebody who's been so stringent or strict as far as like, this has to be the way. It's more so, let's find your way. Let's, what, what do you resonate with? It's allowing to grow with the knowledge instead of it being thrown at you. And that's what she's doing with all of these characters. Yeah. And on top of that, being able to see like, especially in the case of the scarecrow, like seeing these people constantly cutting him down and being able to, Not be like, well, you shouldn't have listened to them. This is kind of on you. But just being like, no, no, no. Like, they were the problem. Yes. Like, that is a very talented thing for a teacher to be able to do. Yeah, it is. It is. Like, I never even thought about that just because Dorothy was such an empathetic and kind person in this story. I never once thought, like she would ever victim blame in this situation. But it's true. That's not the case with so many people. It would be like, well, you chose to stay up there. It's yeah. kind of on you. Like, why didn't you get down? Why was it? Why didn't you act? It's like, no, no, no. It's not my action. I'm reacting. It's their action. Like, this is, yeah. yeah I just, oh, I never, oh, I never, I didn't think about it in that context. That's so cool. Yeah, I didn't realize that either. That's That adds so much more, uh, so much more depth to that and makes that scene so much better like it was already great and then like just adding that little bit of a layer just to say like i'm i'm so conditioned to be like i'm the problem right that like seeing somebody else be like no you're not the problem these people are the problem for doing this to you like oh oh that's great that's so great let's talk about the cowardly lie before we really dig into dorothy so 
it, it was cool kind of hearing you guys say that, like, when you were kids watching The Wizard of Oz, the lion was your favorite. Because the lion was my favorite in The Wiz. Like, you know, when you're a kid and you only get bits and pieces of the story. Like, yeah. 100% Cowardly Lion. Yes. It was amazing. <laughs> what was the acronym he had? I-O-B-K? Incapable of Being King. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, he and like mirror that was like a lion roaring. I was like, oh my god, I need that mirror. Yes, <laughs> that's exactly. I have this in my notes. I need this mirror. This mirror, though, it's in all caps. <laughs> oh man! And like the whole time, he's just kind of like, I, I like that he's like hidden inside of a stone, right? And you just kind of like yeah. see his eyeballs, right? So like that's kind of like his armor. And then he, when he decides to like pray, also I want to talk about uh, or mention that he's in front of like a very official looking building, right? Like he's, it's like some sort of like city hall or something. Whereas everybody else we found is in like an abandoned place or this, but he's in like an official place right and so he comes out and he's like i'm doing this and he's very easily diffused right and then later on like his first reaction when they're it's when they're in the posies he gets like really down on himself and is about to jump off the side of the building yeah oh my gosh and that's another area where dorothy was just like it's okay i see you just keep trying. You are what you are. It's okay. Like I usually skip over the poppy scene in the Wiz. One because I was I was a very like self censoring kid. Like if there was something that <laughs> was it was like too adult for me, I'm like ah, I better not watch. <laughs> I was this. I was the same way as a kid. If it like if it was bad and my friends were gonna watch it, I'd be like, "Hey, you guys! Like, I probably like I don't think I can. I probably can't." <laughs> like, I remember telling friends like, "Oh, my mom doesn't want me watching." <laughs> yeah, all of the songs in this were absolutely fantastic. Like the song, I okay, you can't win is probably my favorite. But then um, when Dorothy sings that last song at the end, it's just called Home. Yeah, it's and just it's, Home. It's like the one shot where she's on this like this moving platform or it looks like it's moving. And then all the characters, all of her like yeah. her journey, you're seeing every character she's seen. It's just Diana. It is so fantastic. And the tears. Like, oh, she's the killing cr- it. The cry acting in this movie was so incredible like the perfect (laughs) moment it's like right after the first line she like takes a beat and then there's just like one single tear down and then she continues and i'm like you choreographed your tears (laughs) in that close-up it's like right before the like last big note like i'm not a music person i'm sure there's like a term for it but the right before the last big note she gets this look like i'm about to fuck this up <laughs> she does. my favorite moment like so you go back and look like look for that look like it's right before and she's just like you guys aren't even ready for what i'm about to do to you and like and she has like 500 teeth like <laughs> <laughs> that moment 
so amazingly beautiful. And I'll just like be clutching a pillow and be like, yes, yes, let's go home. <laughs> no, she she was so good. Just the music in general, like everything was so good. It was just, it was great. I like. Eric's talked about this movie in such a positive way for so many years. Mm-hmm. I'm really happy I finally watched it. Yeah, like it honestly baffles me when people like in all seriousness are like, oh, that's a terrible movie. I'm like, you have not watched it. Like, I just, <laughs> I don't believe that you've actually seen the same movie I have seen. Yeah. Because how could you ever come to that conclusion? Yeah. Um that is how deeply I feel about the music in particular. Home is on my playlist regularly because it's a very, very important song. If you didn't get a chance to like really listen to the words, I highly recommend it. Another good thing to connect with just like Home the song. I don't know if you guys are fans of the show Pose. Um, but yep. there's a beautiful episode in the first season where um, they're visiting lovers and friends in the AIDS unit and they sing home for them. Um, That's where it's from. So good. And just like in that particular context, like there's no way you can watch it without crying, snotting everywhere. But it's such an important song. I didn't realize that's where it was from because I've watched I'm I'm halfway through season two of Pose that that okay I need to go back and watch that episode now too in season one they just sing um home and oh god so good it's a must because in the song itself it starts off saying like when I think of home I think of a place where there's love everywhere I think of all of these things but as she goes on she kind of talks about how like she was so afraid to live life and afraid that home was too far away. But then she learned more about herself and learned that she can go home anytime that she wants. And it kind of connects with another part of the movie that is my actual number one favorite. So when she's talking to Glinda the Good Witch in a horn, So it's after, like, she just did that amazing part where she told all of her friends that, like, they had what they had. Um, And I happen to know Lena Horne's, like, monologue exactly, if you would um, bear with me, but it's so important. (laughs) We're here for this. (laughs) Dorothy, you were wise and good enough to help your friends see what was inside of them all along. The same is true for you. And Dorothy goes, home inside me? I don't understand. And she was like, well, home is a place where we all must find, child. It's not just a place where you sleep or eat. Home is knowing. Knowing your mind. Knowing your heart. Knowing your courage. When we know ourselves, we're always at home. And then she goes into her song, When You Believe, which I have another whole thing about. But (laughs) so it's so important. And like we talked about how the Wiz tells the story better. And so that is like the crux of the movie for me that I always loved is that 
it didn't fully make sense in the Wizard of Oz where it's like, oh, you had the power to go home all along. How was she supposed to know that those shoes could do that? They just kept making a big deal about the shoes and they didn't really do anything. But in the Wiz, she explains that like, no, the power to go home is because home is knowing yourself. You have the power just from understanding your strengths, understanding what you can do and knowing what you've survived. Like that is where the power comes from. And it's just like my favorite moment in like all of film. I have it tattooed actually. Do I you? That. <gasps> yeah. That's amazing. Uh, this says home is knowing. I don't know if you guys can see all the thing. Yeah. But it's just, it's such a perfect message for me, you know? It's just saying, like, no, all of us are searching for home in some way, you know? Like, we're searching for home in our identities, in our physical spaces. We're searching for home in all of these things. But, like, home is knowing yourself and loving yourself. Like, that is all that you need and that is always available to you that's awesome that is so beautiful i oh my gosh i guess because it 100 percent is impactful when i watched it but just like hearing you retell it's so impactful and also so telling of such a wonderfully written story yes you know 100 percent Also, I have to talk about Lena Horne's performance. Like, she gets, like, a little half song. It's, like, a minute and a half. And it's, like, some of the most intense performance in the whole movie, if you go back and watch it. Like, um, before I realized that Home was as amazing as it was, I was all about If You Believe. Um, Because in it, it's, like, she's she does like these hand signals, like I'm doing it for you guys (laughs) where like she's singing and it's like literally like you can see like she's contorting her hands to like really send this message to you. And like the message is like fucking believe in yourself. (laughs) Like, (laughs) like, and it's almost like she'll hurt you if you don't recognize how amazing you are. And, like, there's a line that's, like, and you're going to believe all these things. You're going to believe that you're powerful and beautiful and amazing. And you're going to believe them not because I told you to. And she gets this crazy look in her eye. Like, you're going to go and see it. And she goes, not because I told you to. And it's, like, it's so intense. And I love it so much. Like, you feel like you can almost like reach in and hug her because she's like saying it to you, like saying like, of course you had all of this inside of you. And if you don't believe it, I'm going to hurt you. (laughs) (laughs) You have no idea what you are wasting by not acknowledging that power within you. And Like in the song, she was like, and just one day you're going to realize it and you're just going to grab it for yourself. And that's it. And you're going to know forever. Yeah. yeah, I was like, and you're just going to have that power forever. And like that happens even before home. (laughs) Yeah, because she like tells her, I think like verbatim, she says, you need to get out of this room and let people see you. 
And like when we first see Dorothy, like she's in the home and she's like, you know, there's so much joy and so many people and she's aiding in that and she's like helping people, making sure that they're there. And then whenever she's there and she sits down, then she's like, no, this isn't for me. And she excuses herself from that joy. She never allows herself to participate, right? She goes back to this other room and she's like, she's so disconnected. She's like outing herself. And so when Lena Horne like tells her like, get out of that room and let yourself be seen. That like really just drove that home. And then with that song and then with home and I was like in tears and I was like, look, I'm glad I watched Wizard of Oz first because this is a much better movie. How the fuck has nobody seen like, like everybody needs to watch this movie. Yeah. yeah. How I feel very much. And like, <laughs> so in the beginning scene before they go to Oz, in my rewatching in like the last few years, there's lots of really good nuance in it. So like it starts off and like they're having this big family dinner and everyone's coming in and it's, it's so perfectly warm. It's like, if you personally were there, you would probably be having like the time of your life because like we're going to have some amazing food and everyone's laughing and joking. But then like you see Dorothy and like she draws herself in so much. She's serving everybody, but it's like a way so she doesn't have to like sit down and enjoy herself. You see these other like young people, they're like off in a closet making out. Like <laughs> catches them and sends them back to the table and you also like I missed this my whole entire life but there's also a part where like someone brought somebody for Dorothy to meet and so he's waiting to like actually meet her and stuff like that but she's running around giving everybody like a drink and going off in the kitchen to avoid it and she sings this like little mini song to herself That was just like, I have no idea about the feeling that they're talking about. All of this terrifies me. What is this? And it's just such this like perfect thing that I always missed when I was a kid. But like, I I finally really saw it right when I was like turning 25 and rewatching it. And I was just like, that's life right there. Like, you know, like... (laughs) Like, she has a college degree, she has a job, and, you know, I was right at that place where, like, this uh, life is supposed to be working now, I did the right things, why isn't it working, why is it still super terrifying, and just, like, seeing her in that place, and I was just like, I get it, Dorothy, like, I don't get any of this either. Yeah. Just... I love so much that she's 25 and still has no fucking clue what she wants out of life. Because like, you know, when you're a kid, you think 25 is grown. Yeah. (laughs) But then all of us experience when we do get to like, you know, the age that we thought we were grown and we look around and we're like, oh no, I have no idea what I'm doing. This is bullshit. Please someone help me. Truly. <laughs> well, even even comparing like earlier, you were saying that her performance of like when she gets to Oz, seeing her so hesitant and scared and trepidatious, everything is new and frightening and terrifying. And it's it's that like 
the idea of starting something new, even at like that age in life, it's supposed to be like adventurous and like exciting. Yeah. But in reality, oftentimes it's neither. <laughs> it's terrifying <laughs> and it's so anxiety inducing and just all of it. So seeing her like at home and kind of already being a little bit anxious, a little bit hesitant, kind of shy. Yeah. Then throwing her into this brand new world of all of these new things. And her reaction is so organic. It's yeah. so just like, I, I don't. Oh, okay. Sure. And they're like, you killed her. She's like, I, okay. Oh, okay. Like, I don't know what that means here. Like, sure. I'm sorry. They're like, no, it's great. She's like, okay, I guess it's great. Like, <laughs> sure. Like, I don't know. And it was just her eye work also is so good. <laughs> like, <laughs> Diana Ross just looking uh, around at everything, like just trying to process, but it's also so hard to fathom whatever's happening. Also, like the skirt she is wearing is like the most magical skirt ever because it's like it is at once like this light dancy thing, but it's still heavy enough that like I know editing whatever, but it's heavy enough that it never like flies up in a weird way. Yeah. Yeah. Like I just I zeroed in on that like as a little girl just being like that skirt is perfect. <laughs> I need one I can dance around in it. I have to show my underwear to people. <laughs> <laughs> well, and like like you're saying, like her first song is very mousy and very quiet, right? Compared with Home, which is just fucking out there. If you haven't seen it, at least YouTube that because like it is the most I am here, I am now, I know myself, right? Like all of that. And I can't think like I didn't even realize because this is the only time I've ever watched it and it won't be the last. But like seeing like that that her first song is so mousy because like by the end of this, she is a different person and she is so empowered and so like fully her. And that's such a great way to like introduce and end that story. 100%. I also wanted to bring up too with her dress when she fl is flying into Oz. Eric was watching it with me when we when I was starting it so we were watching it together. He pointed out the coat that she throws on to go get Toto in the snowstorm. You don't really see the inside of it until she's flying to Oz, but at a certain moment the jacket flies off and the interior of the jacket is the gingham print from Dorothy's original dress. Oh, I never noticed. Oh, I did not. So, so the inside is the pattern of her original dress because she doesn't have that print on on her dress in this one. Yeah. So you're yeah. so it's almost like as she's flying to it, she's like shedding herself of this old ideal of what this person in character is. Wow, I love that. Yes, like I also we have to talk about the sets because they're yes. so perfectly beautiful like i still like the old artwork i still have it on like my ipad and stuff like that um but the beautiful details of like making it this like urbanized version where like the munchkins were like kids just playing in the park doing like graffiti and stuff yeah. like that and then like Oh, just there's so many beautiful backgrounds that are really easy to miss that are like these paintings, I guess, of like condemned buildings. But it's like 
they bring out this beauty in it. And like, so they add to the scariness of the scene, but it's also just really beautiful art that worth going back and taking another look at. Yeah. Like that, that first scene or right before she meets the scarecrow where Mm -hmm. she sees that guy kind of come out, the guy they meet at the subway later when he's carrying that like tray. And she's like, wait, that whole scene was so scary. But um, yeah, when she's walking past those buildings, you're seeing like this almost beautiful sunrise behind this building that looks like it's about to collapse. So like that juxtaposition of beauty and decay together. Yeah, it was it was gorgeous. And also like the talent too. Like this is a amazing cast and you know that they're talented because they're yeah. also not doing a lot of cheap stuff, right? Like I was watching this with my husband and we were like, in awe at how much of the shots were continuous takes it's like five minutes of footage and no cuts no nothing you know like and it's a big dance scene where they're stepping on top of the cabs and stuff and like one person falls that's it you know or like there's like 60 people that are dancing like you know this loved its group ensembles you know which was so so beautiful but like everybody like had to be on top of it in order to get those shots the cinematography like the the people behind it the people on screen and all of that and just the way that they inhabit those those characters and that for like so it's like they were living it and it really brings you in in a way where it's not those cheap shots where it's like oh and then this and then this and then this it just it really like makes it feel lived in and makes you feel like you're there in that moment which i really appreciated I do want to talk a little bit about the underlying capitalism narrative that was in this. I know we brought it up a little bit before, but just like capitalism as a generalized evil uh, with an Eveline sweatshop, which also Eveline was so cool. <laughs> like, I, yeah, that whole scene, that song, that dance, like all of it was so good. But like, you're going from like, when she gets there, it's sort of like, a part of the city that's been forgotten, essentially. Yeah. You're seeing that, and then you're seeing all of these kids. There's still joy here. There's all of these things. But as she progresses, you're starting to see more and more wealth until she get, they cross the Brooklyn Bridge. They get to Oz. That's the Brooklyn Bridge, right? I think so. They get to Oz, and then they get in there, and it's fashion. It's wealth. It's all of these things. It is the best, most enriched version of this city that she's been in. And even within that, the only reason she gets to go up and talk to the wizard is because of the shoes. I think that's when I got this. I took this more so when I was looking at the last one where I was like, well, the only reason they let him in is because of the shoes. Whereas this felt more of an intentional choosing to be like, because when they get to the door, the guards say the service entrance is around back. There's Mm -hmm. an assumption that they're delivering something. It's kind of like a, you're not, you don't belong here. You're poor kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, but then they see the the shoes and it's like, oh, come on in. Like you have wealth. Let's go. Let's do this. And then seeing the sweatshop aspect of Eveline being the witch and evil and, and driving this labor, driving this, this profit, she's adorned in the most embellished like metals and buttons and jewels and and everything just like adorned and literally dripping in wealth and conglomerate of 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 collection like she has so much it's like we're seeing a visual so much happening and then seeing when she being like 
say she is like the top of capitalism mm. when she's gone there's the whole scene where like they're all taking off their their worker masks they're all taking off their they're like they're shedding their skin they're literally shedding the, their skin the bondage and this, of capitalism i know and i was just so like because for a story that was basically talking about like it's like the gilded age or the exchange of um currency yeah, it was all about like take the silver slippers to Emerald City, which was like DC and yeah, age rate and stuff like that. And what would we build this country off of? And yeah, yeah. So for a story that is has its like origins in this sort of allegory for money, an exchange of money, to then write in this idea of capitalism being evil. And exemplifying that in this beautiful way. I was so impressed and surprised. And having it be like the underlying, because like the whole time yeah. you like, because like you see the crows are working for her, the people from the, the posy patch, right? And all of this. Yeah. like. And I don't know if you noticed this, but um, Evermean, the sister that was killed when Dorothy came, she was the Parks Department Commissioner. And so like she was a politician. Oh, no dang. shit. Yes. Um, this one uh, that comes down, she explained, she was like, oh yeah, she was the Parks Department Commissioner. I think she said something like she had given us all tickets or like, you know, banned us all from the park, but now that she's dead, we can come back. And also, as you were talking about, like, just like the capitalism layer, I think about how like, you know, Miss One, like she asked her if she wanted to like play some numbers. Yes. Yeah. Right? Oh man. I really loved that. I loved that, like, the real villain of the story, we didn't even really... Because, like, in the other one, the Wicked Witch of the West is just fucking there, and we know it, right? And she's always, like, we know that she's kind of, like, there plotting. But in this one, we don't even really get her until the very end. And then she comes out, and she just has this beautiful dance number and everything. And then she's, like, kind of flushed down the toilet when she's, Oh, my like, God. I loved that. <laughs> Because you don't even notice that her throne looks like that. And then as soon as she sinks down and the toilet lid shuts, you're like, oh, my God, it was a toilet. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, she lives in the sewer. Of course, this all makes so much sense, you know. But I, I, I was still so impressed that like all of the little sub villains like reported to her and they were all suffering at her hands, you know, where she's saying like, you don't get breaks. You don't get this. Like, you know, she's like being an asshole to everybody and they in turn are perpetuating that. Like, so the perpetual cycle of, of abuse, right? And so seeing that, I think that was really, really genius. I was blown away. Yeah, at the end when like, you know, the sprinklers are on and they're like shedding their skin. That was another time where I was just like, I need to turn my little <laughs> This is adult content. <laughs> and I still feel like a little like flush watching that scene, like, oh my god, they look so naked. I, they they really Eric and I were talking about it. I was like, I think some of the guys too even like pulled up their bathing suit a little bit tight too because it was like it was like a thong and it's also in the choreography because they're like pulsing out yes it's like very sexual movements on purpose but it's like that was fully communicated to me as a child and i was like this is (laughs) (laughs) risque yeah 
I know what's oh, happening. Man. I will not be participating right now. Please <laughs> let me know when you're done. <laughs> oh, like I just I am so impressed by this movie. Yeah. Yeah. And also because like crying kind of saves the day, like we were talking about, like where, you know, uh, showing vulnerability and knowing yourself and all of those things all like kind of culminate into that. Even when like, you know, I I was thinking about the chase scenes whenever they run up against like the motorcycle dudes or in the subway, right? They all get separated. And I was thinking about like how you have a group and everybody's going through something at the same time and you're just kind of like, it's okay, I see you, I got you, you know, even though you're all kind of running in different directions and everything, but then eventually, like, one person, like, is able to, like, go and get connected with the other person and the other person is able, and you're all able to, like, kind of, like, help each other through that kind of experience, you know? And again, just, like, being able to be vulnerable and be like, man, I was scared, man, I'm glad that you're okay and just really own all of that and I think they did just a better job of like also showing like that you need other people in order to make it through and that that was a huge strength you know yeah I love that part of it too this is a great movie I'm so glad that you suggested this I like Eric has when I was over at their house he showed me the subway scene and I was terrified um (laughs) (laughs) But um, I've wanted to watch this and I couldn't be more delighted to talk about this with somebody that loves this so much. Like, I feel like I love this even more. Just hearing you talk about it. I, Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing this with us. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. This has been awesome. Like, and this was so much easier than like furiously typing it into Twitter. do because every once in a while people will just pop up talking shit about the whiz and i'm like i can't believe it (laughs) like scream so this was very cathartic for me so we made it all the way back here from oz so eric for the 1930s wizard of oz who was it for? Hmm. I'm going to say it's for men in Hollywood. Just generalized men in Hollywood. I don't really have a follow-up. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of it. I will say I think it's for thinking about like the 30s and stuff. I think it's for young women that like just need to believe in themselves a bit more, maybe. But then I'm like thinking about it. I'm like, wait, but she went back home and they all suck. So it's like, yeah, this was made for young women to make them want to stay home and never leave home and fit into your gender role. Yeah. Just go home and go, I'm never leaving ever again. Yeah. <laughs> who do you think this was for? Um, Children who like bright colors and... <laughs> fun things like there's definitely deeper things that everybody can enjoy but like overall distracting children's story yeah i'm gonna retract my statement i think it was for men who need validation yeah there's also that tokens of validation yeah but i think i think we're all correct (laughs) (laughs) okay eric did you like it yeah yeah i liked it 
it's not like my favorite movie and I like occasionally watching it. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's fun. I love anytime I see that smoke, it's gorgeous on that color. Like that red smoke looked so good every time. So visually, I, yeah, it was eye catching. The colors were gorgeous. Um, yeah, I liked it like a really solid low level. I like it. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, I I liked it. I think it's like one of those things where it'll just be like, if it was on, cool, I'll watch it. But I won't really like pay attention. But like, I, I still am like kind of captivated by the way like Scarecrow moves, you know, and like yeah. just the little details like that and looking at the story and being like, wow, all of these people inhabited it and they're not beating it over our heads and stuff like that. I think if you like cut it when they got Dorothy and then just take out like the wizard, like that whole part, like where she's about to go home, cut all that out. We don't need that validation. Just save Dorothy and she lives there. Like I would have liked this movie a lot better. But yeah, I uh, I liked it. What do you think, Amber? Did you like it? I liked it. And I'm so, so shocked to say that. Because <laughs> this is on record. <laughs> it's real. Like, my name is on this. Yes. <laughs> Never would have guessed. Never. Like, even as I was watching it, and, like, she sings Somewhere Over the Rainbow, like, really early. Oh, yeah. Thinking that this whole movie was just that song, I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> like, <what>? <laughs> <laughs> and she just sang the song. Does she sing it again at the end? And I was like wondering that. And so like still prepared to thinking it was like totally stupid. And I did it. I liked it. It was funny. <laughs> it was cute. It is jarring how quickly that song comes. Because yeah. it is iconic. And then it's like 30 seconds in. She's like... <gasps> somewhere and you're like what <laughs> wait hold on <laughs> um all right what about the whiz eric was this new interesting or the same progressive regressive has it evolved with today's ideals i think it was new and interesting just because it took the sort of storybook easy read mundane aspects of the first and amplified it, like I said earlier, with, I think I use the word atmosphere, like so much atmosphere and nuance and character. And it really just enriched a lot of what felt bland about the first one. So I thought it was interesting and new in that way. And then also progressive just in its, like its B-plot of capitalism as a generalized evil. That's great. That's huge. That's like, amazing and that's not even any of the character stuff for the most part like but if we're looking into the nuance and emotion of the character stuff then that's like a whole nother thing so like i think it was yeah i think i thought it was very progressive in in the way that it has progressed the story from where it once was to where it is now i say now very loosely because this movie came out 40 years ago (laughs) because that it's not now it's really old but even some of the the story elements are still ring true and are still very much of the present day yeah Yeah. what do you think amber i would agree like at first when i think like the word progressive i was like i don't know if i would like put that on the whiz so much yeah um, because i don't think it like pushes boundaries in that sense but at the same time, I do like the um, kind of undercurrent story of capitalism. Um, and I also, you know, I 
I think about it in terms of what it says about like racial identity and racial experiences. And like, that is another beautiful layer that I appreciate it for. And so in that, I think that it is progressive, but especially in like looking at different people's reactions to the movies, like that's not on the surface enough for it to fully be a progressive movie. Like, I feel like it's Mm -hmm. what uh, people have seen in it. It's definitely there on purpose, but it's easy to miss. Yeah, I think you're both correct. I agree with what you're saying. Like, it was new and interesting, and I was so delighted. And, like, I didn't check my phone during the movie. You know, I was was there. I was there for it, captivated. Um, I think compared to... The first one, I think it was more progressive, like not obviously by today's standards, but like it was more progressive because I love the embracing of emotion like we were talking about and the depth that the characters had, you know, like talking about capitalism and suicide and how this affects everybody around, you know, not just you, but like the entire city. I I really, really, really loved it. And again, like, Wizard of Oz was very, very white, you know, so having yeah. having so much wonderful talent on screen that wasn't white people was wonderful. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, it's it's one of those movies that I, I'm just like, it was great. And I love seeing so much joy and some even even in the hard moments, seeing that camaraderie. And it was a delight. Who do you think it was for, Eric? Um, I think the Wiz was just generally for the black community because i feel like with most cinema then and now everything is so white centric or euro beauty standard centric everything is so centralized and localized around the idea and the existence of whiteness that to see a movie especially one that is so well written underneath the umbrella of self-love i mean yeah it was it was for the black community by and large, is what to me, because again, it's it's just it's not a movie localized around whiteness, and that's that's I mean you can't say that for more than like ninety five percent of all media everywhere, you know. What do you think, Amber? Uh, like my first thought when you asked the question, I was like, it's for me. Like <laughs> they made it for me because I it has brought so much love into my life. But at the same time, like hearing what Eric said is that I, I think about all the times in the movie where they were essentially like sending this message of like, I see you and I understand what you're going through and all you need is just a little bit of encouragement in this and you can do this yourself. That being like this beautiful love letter to the black community, especially, and like, and it ties with all of like the little um, kind of undercurrents of the story of like, you know, from the monk skins, I can't say that right now, that were just like kids playing in the park who were terrorized by the park commissioner to the people working in a sweatshop that were terrorized again by this like capitalistic system and just being like, you know, we see you and we can see all of the ways that we can at least fantasize about freedom from these oppressive systems. And in that learn even more about ourselves and learn how much power we had all along. 
um, is just, it's a beautiful, beautiful message. Yeah. I, yeah. I agree. I can't say anything that either of you said any better. I think you guys really, really nailed that. Did we like it? Yeah, I thought it was great. I was so impressed. I'm really happy I finally saw it. Again, I've heard nothing but good things about it. So I'm I'm happy to see those good things actualized in a way that I I connected with, you know. It was I mean, it was a beautiful story, a great lesson in storytelling, a great lesson in just like again, self-love. Like I feel like so much like it's oftentimes that kind of element is missed or it's a narrative centralized around like you need to help yourself or whatever, but it's like, this is not that. It's, you have the capacity, you have to find it, but it's all centered around love and joy, which is gorgeous. It's just, it was, it was very good. If you really, like, truly, if you have not seen this movie, it's absolutely worth the watch in so many ways. It's also worth the rewatch because I'm probably going to watch it again. Oh, Um, for sure. It's very good. Yeah. And I feel like, we so rarely get like a good retelling, you know, a good purposeful yeah. retelling. And I think that's exactly what this is. Like you guys said, like this is, it was done with intent. Every, even the small pieces, you know, the small little bits, you know, there was so much nuance in all of the characters and in the city itself and in the politics of the city that I feel like this is a film that you can watch time and time again and get something out of it every single time. And that's not easy to do, especially when taking something that is so loved and so like presumably untouchable, right? As like the Wizard of Oz, you know, whenever people try to remake things, they usually don't do it with this much love and care. And I would tell people to watch this before they watch Wizard of Oz. I would say, this is a better movie. This is a, oh, this yeah. is the heart. Like 100% watch this movie if you haven't. It's such <laughs> a delight. It's such a treat. And yeah, listen to the soundtrack. Ooh. How about you, Amber? I know, we know this is your favorite. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I love it. I love it. I love it. It's it's definitely like a family thing for me. I grew up not realizing that other people didn't watch it as often as we do. But yeah, it's, I feel like it's a movie that you have to really approach on its own. I don't think that you really gain anything from comparing it too harshly to The Wizard of Oz because in it, you lose so much. Like I remember listening to NPR, like this is just a few months ago, maybe where like one of the last actors that was a child playing one of the Munchkins in the original had died. And so like they were talking about the legacy of the Wizard of Oz and like they had like this one comment where they brought up the Wiz. They were like, yeah, I don't really understand it. Like how was Dorothy 25? And like I was in my car and I wanted to like... Drive off the road. I was so mad. I was like, you can't do that. You can't just say, like, oh, how is a 12 year old all of a sudden 25? Like, you have to, like, let it be its own story and talk about, like, the similarities, but you can't just be like, well, I love The Wizard of Oz, so this better be exactly like it because it's just not. And, like, you're going to miss the absolute genius of Dorothy being 25 and the genius of Michael Jackson playing the scarecrow. It's perfect. Yeah. 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 
I can't believe people don't like this movie. I will fight somebody <laughs> if they tell me they don't like this movie because it's like, I feel like that is the same kind of argument as like, well, Ariel's white, right? Like, what do you mean? She's a fictional character, you know? Like, also, like, this is not called the Wizard of Oz, right? This is something different. This is a different entity. Let this be its own thing. Like, you don't own this and like creative owners and like, you know, like, like fans and toxic fandom. And um, yeah, I can't believe that nobody would like this movie. You're wrong <laughs> if you don't like it. I know that a lot of my like resentment towards the Wizard of Oz over the years has stemmed from this assumption that goes on a lot in our culture that anything that is exclusively Black or something that is made for Black people is worse um, or anything that Black people love specifically is just not as good. Um, and so I always had a chip on my shoulder, especially for this movie, because I'm like, there is no way, just like no freaking way that The Wizard of Oz is better than this. There's just none. And like, and so I kind of taken it upon myself to like never give in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then also it just, it makes me think of how much people lose by not trying things from different perspectives that like you can take this iconic story, like, you know, the same general like structure of the story and tell another completely different story just by adding this layer of a different racial experience and people not knowing or like really in our culture not um being taught that like that is something that's really rich in as far as experiences are that like sometimes stories are completely different if all the characters are black like sometimes stories are completely different in a really really awesome way if all of the characters are coming from a different context a different perspective and like that is for me just so much more fun <laughs> well absolutely right like imagine if this all black cast tried to do exactly what the wizards of oz did it would feel so disingenuous and bizarre like it would yeah. just it would not work so by allowing creatively the honesty and organic aspects of filmmaking that this movie has within it, you get this entirely different product, like you were saying. But it's great. It's this beautiful thing that is yeah. absolutely different, but that's what makes it beautiful or part of what makes it beautiful yeah. is its, its difference. And so I'm always down for like gender bending a character. Yes. Race bending a character. Cause I'm like, let's see what happens. Yeah. Right. Like but it's just interesting. It's just cool. Cause it's, again, you're just, you're giving yourself a new, a new approach to a new story. Right. Like even if one small thing has changed, like say you make a character gay in a story or, or more of a queer perspective of a narrative that's familiar the entire context of that story is going to be different because your character, you're as an audience, you're seeing it through the eyes of this hero. So within that, their version of this is going to be completely different than if they were straight or cis or what have you. You know what I mean? That's the beauty. Of, that's so awesome. That's what's awesome about like the complete unique aspects of each person who lives like 
every version of this life is different. Like, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, and it's such a crime that there are so many people who would never hear about it. Like, you know, most white people I meet didn't know that a the Wiz existed. Yeah. It's like, you are missing out so much. And I mean that, like, more on just, like, this individual good movie level. But you're also missing out on, I guess, like, practice for thinking about things from different perspectives. Like, Absolutely, yeah. There is so much you miss out of life because you don't seek out those stories. And, like, we all would be better if you did. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. And I think, and just generally too, the idea, like you were saying, that the black version of something is generalized in American or westernized culture, the bad version of it. Yeah. It's so true. It is so like that being a part of the culture is so toxic. And absolutely like this specifically, for instance, is what a triumph of a movie that I think generali- or generally for especially a lot of white people mm-hmm. is just automatically assumed bad because yeah. of systemic racism and the assumed badness of blackness, which is yeah. just like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's a great movie. Yeah, the assumption is like, obviously I can live without it. So like, how could that have anything that could improve my life in it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, how could that be anything that I need? And it's just like, you're missing out on so much. Like, there's lots of things to unpack in that particular worldview. But it's oh, yeah. also the bottom line is you're missing out on the best stories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, truly. Oh my God, Amber, this was so fun. Yay! Thank you for being here. I'm so excited we finally did this. This is... Yes. What a treat. Just like an absolute treat this was. was Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, I think that's it. Thank you so much for listening. You can write into us at nostalgiapodcast at gmail.com. Give us suggestions, ask us questions, talk about stuff. I don't know. We're here for all of that. And we would like to say a special thanks to David Tercero for providing tech support, Danny Barkley for editing our podcast, and Thank you, Amber, and thank you, Eric. Thank, this is thank great. you. Okay, well, everybody, stay cute. And stay critical. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Boop, 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 boop.